This is episode 70 of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast, and I'm your host, John S. Today we'll be talking about refuge recovery with Dave Owens. Dave has been attending meetings of refuge recovery since it came to Kansas City in March of this year. We will explore the basics, the process and the practices of refuge recovery, the four truths and the eightfold path. All right, here with Dave Owens here at my home in Kansas City and we're going to be talking about refuge recovery. Um, Dave is getting involved in um, helping to start a refuge uh, recovery group here in Kansas City, and I thought it would be fun to have him over here to uh, talk about refuge recovery, you know, how it works, and why it might be of interest to uh, people who prefer a secular approach to recovery. So, uh, Dave, uh, you want to talk a little bit about this? Tell us a little bit about ref- refuge recovery and, and what, it, what it involves. Okay. Well, first off, thanks for having me. Um just, uh, I'll, I'll just go ahead and read straight off the back of the Refuge Recovery book to kind of give you an overview. Okay. Uh, it says, Refuge Recovery is a Buddhist-oriented, non-theistic recovery program that does not ask anyone to believe anything, only to trust the process and do the hard work of recovery. In fact, no previous experience or knowledge of Buddhism is required. Recovery is possible, and this book, well, the program... Uh, provides a systematic approach to treating and recovering from all forms of addictions. When sincerely practiced, the program will ensure a full recovery from addiction and a lifelong sense of well-being and happiness. Okay. And I I was reading through the book a little bit, and I know that, and I don't know a whole lot about it, but I know that you you do, but um, basically there there, there are four truths of recovery, and then there's an eightfold path. And I thought maybe it might be interesting. You, would you want to kind of go through the four truths of recovery and talk about that? Would that be a good way to, to do this? Sure. Um, the, the four truths are that addiction creates suffering, uh, that the cause of addiction is repetitive craving, that recovery is possible, and the path to recovery is available. And basically that just kind of breaks it down as to understanding what addiction is and how recovery uh, is possible. Um, the eightfold path, uh, the eightfold path breaks down to, uh, understanding. And that's that we understand that recovery begins when we renounce and abstain from all substances or addictive behaviors. Um, it's intention. We begin the work of changing our relationship toward the mind's tendencies and habits, communication and community, We take refuge in the community as a place to practice wise and skillful communication and to support others on their path. Action. We abstain from all substances and behaviors that could lead to suffering. We practice forgiveness and compassion toward all people we have harmed or been harmed by, including ourselves. Um, Livelihood and service. We look at our relationship to money. We try to be of service to others whenever possible, being generous with our time, energy, attention, and resources. Effort, we commit to the daily discipline practices of meditation, wise actions, kindness, forgiveness, generosity, compassion, and awareness. 
mindfulness and meditations. We develop wisdom and understanding through the practice of meditation and applying the truth of the Dharma. And the final point on the Eightfold Path is concentration and meditation. We work on our dedicated daily practice of meditation, awareness, and investigation. Okay. So the Eightfold Path is what you would follow after the f- as, as you go through the fourth truth of recovery? Well, the, the best way I can describe that is if you were to think of the Eightfold Path as each, each point or fold being kind of like spokes in a wheel. Um, it's not so much like a like a twelve step type Linear. program where each one builds on the other. Okay. It's more um, more that you know you you kind of work on all of them together. Gotcha. Um, it's going back to the analogy of spokes in a wheel. If one is out of balance, then the whole wheel is out of balance. Right. So these are things that you try to apply in any possible way throughout your day, throughout your life and throughout your recovery, um, just as a way to kind of keep everything in balance. Gotcha. Okay. So, okay. So I, I don't want to necessarily understand it like some sort of a linear thing. Um, when I was reading through the book, okay. So I was, I was looking at the first, the first, um, two truths, addiction creates suffering. And what I found really interesting about that is it really goes into a really in-depth inventory of how our addiction causes suffering. Um, So that kind of helps a person to understand. Well, I think a lot of people, when they're in in the depths of their addiction, they don't really realize that the suffering is not that, it's not really specific to just the addict. It's everyone around them as well as themselves. Okay. Um, and understanding how your addiction has caused suffering both to you and to others helps you kind of get a fuller understanding of what your addiction is, the, the extent of it and helps you kind of get, it gives you more of a jumping off point to actually get more focused on what you can do to repair that damage and eliminate that suffering. Gotcha. I was almost kind of thinking about it from my AA world as kind of like a first step. Is that, is, would you kind of compare it to maybe the first step in a way or, um, well, (laughs) you have to forgive me because this is all I know. I I totally understand. Um, see, I think with the, uh, the, the way the first truth inventory kind of breaks down, it's kind of, a. I would almost say that it kind of combines like the first two steps. Gotcha. You know, it, it just kind of helps you, you know, yes, you're, you're recognizing that your addiction is a problem. You're understanding more about it. Mm -hmm. And I think when you kind of take a step back and you're able to look at it objectively and you understand the damage that has been done both to yourself and the people around you, it kind of helps humble you. Yeah. And, um, I could see how that could be helpful. Like if you're, if you're, um, just now coming to grips with a problem with addiction mm-hmm. and you show up at a refuge recovery meeting, um, looking for, you know, cause you're interested in a secular approach. Is this where they would start? Well, a lot of the way that we start all of our meetings, usually, I mean, once we go through the formalities that, you know, they explain what the, what the program is. Um, the, the first big, I guess, <laughs> I guess the first course, mm-hmm. um, we usually start off with a meditation. Okay. Um, 
we do a guided meditation that usually runs anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes, depending on what the meditation is. Um, and it could be anything from as, as simple as the mindfulness of breathing, mm -hmm. uh, which is good for people who don't really have any previous meditation experience. Mm -hmm. It could be a bit more in depth. Um, you know, there's, there's one that I'm really fond of. That's just the loving kindness mm -hmm. meditation mm -hmm. that kind of helps you. I, I kind of view meditation as being a way to sort of hit the reset button. Mm -hmm. Like if you've had a bad day and you're stressed out about things, taking a little bit of time to relax, clear your head a little bit, it really does kind of help all of the all of the little trivial worries of the day right. kind of fall away and you can actually focus on what's important. Right. And I, I love the way that that I feel when, you know, when we get into a meeting, cause I usually, the meetings are usually right after I get off work. Mm -hmm. So if I've had a bad day taking 10 or 20 minutes to relax my mind, it really helps me just my, my bad day is over. The bad part right. of my day is behind me. I can focus now. I'm here with other people who are suffering like I am mm -hmm. that are interested in recovery we can be more focused on that rather than, you know, I've, I know I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. I've been in numerous AA meetings where mm -hmm. when it's my turn to share, all I do is vent about my day. <laughs> yeah. And not that that's, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, right. but it, it, it allows you to kind of, you know, instead of taking up more time on the meeting and other people commenting, Oh, well, right. maybe you should try this. Maybe you should try that. The nice thing about it is it just kind of helps you say, you know what, that's really not all that important. Right. So for a newcomer, we would probably start off, you know, a lot of times we'll, you know, before the meeting even begins kind of, hi, you know, I'm Dave and is this your first time here? Um, do you have any previous meditation experience? What, how did you find us? That kind of thing kind of helps get a little bit of an idea of, you know, what, not really. I wouldn't. I don't want to say what we're dealing with, right, but, but where, you know, where the person's coming from, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you know, it kind of helps to. Uh, we can kind of tailor the meeting a little bit around that. Sure. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Uh, what limited experience that I have with meditation, and I'm, I'm thinking I want to get more involved with it, is when I was doing it on a regular basis, it helped me kind of discipline my mind. And one of the things that I did was, um, like what, like, like what you were saying is, um, I learned how not to latch on to thoughts. Mm -hmm. So if I had a lot of negative crap going on in my head, I just realized that was just my brain working and I could just let those thoughts go by and not latch on to them. Right. Uh, I think probably the best way it was described to me when I first got into meditation was you think of it kind of like, you know, you're lying on your back, looking up at the sky. Yeah. And there's birds that'll fly by and there's clouds floating by and planes going by overhead. And rather than, you know, when you see something latching onto it and following it across the sky, you just kind of let it go across your field of vision and then yeah. just, okay, that, that was neat. That came by and now it's gone. And, you know, and then, yeah. you, then here comes something else and <laughs> yeah. you just kind of let that go by too. You know, the, the easy way to do it is just, you know, bringing it back to focusing on breathing. Yeah. That's really interesting. It is almost like your mind is like a projector and you, and it's all these thoughts and stuff are just kind of going by all the time. Right. Right. And then through meditation, you can just like let them just let those things go. And it's kind of bring yourself into kind of like a more of a calm, aware, 
I guess, state. Well, yeah, it's kind of, you know, like if you if you had a camera and, you know, when you see the bird fly by, instead of following it with the camera, you just let it go across in front. And OK, now what whatever else is going to come across in, in, in the field of view is is whatever comes. OK. You know, and and you can't really the, the thing that's interesting about meditation is I had the idea when I first decided that it was something I wanted to look into. I had the idea of, oh, well, this is just, you know, you want to clear your mind and just, right, right. you know, no thoughts. Right, right. And, that used to drive me crazy. Well, and the funny thing about that is the more you try to think about not thinking. <laughs> the more you're thinking. Right. <laughs> just, you end up just completely, you, yeah. you make it so much harder for yourself rather than just allowing yourself to say, I have a brain. My brain works. And because my brain works, I have thoughts. Yeah. Those thoughts are going to come and go just like you're going to hear sounds and you're right. Gonna, you know, you, you just, instead of just focusing on that sound, you just, okay, there's a sound and now it's not there anymore. Yeah. Well, that's how I always saw it. Um, we started a meditation meeting, um, a long time ago, um, at this group I used to go to. And, um, what used to drive me crazy was everybody was trying to achieve the state of no thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I knew that that was going to be impossible for me. So, um, we actually had this guy come over who kind of taught us how to meditate in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And he's, he suggested what you did. Just imagine like there are clouds floating in the sky or leaves, you know, drifting in a stream. You don't have to grab onto them. Just let those thoughts go. Right. And that's how I would meditate. I never, I never, I, I would use my thoughts. I wouldn't try not to have them. Right. Well, and like I said, the more you, you focus on trying not to think about anything, (laughs) you, you know, you're fighting a losing battle at that point. Isn't that interesting? Okay. So, okay. So, um, so I noticed that, that you had the inventory on that first, the first truth of recovery, addiction creates suffering. And I would recommend this book, by the way, I've got it on Kindle. I need to get the hard copy, but I thought it was a really good inventory process. If I remember right, don't you, you actually have questions, right? Correct. And then the second of the four truths, the cause of addiction is repetitive craving. There's also an inventory that follows that. Is that right? That's correct. You want to talk about that second one, that second um, truth? The the way that it's described in the book for the second truth inventory, it says to write an in-depth and detailed inventory about the difficulties that you have been trying to avoid. Uh, investigate how craving for more pleasure and less pain led you into addiction. And I think for most of us, that that pretty much sums it up right there is that, you know, the, the craving for more pleasure and less pain. Right. You know, we... Mm, I I can't speak for everybody, but speaking for myself, I know that, you know, I, I would, I would get into what I call apocalyptic thinking where, Mm -hmm. you know, I would fixate on something and the more I would think about it, the more my brain would go to this worst case scenario. Exactly. Just expecting these awful things are going to happen. That, that's how I always lived my life. The worst, I had worst case scenario thinking, which I thought was actually good in a way because the worst case scenario never actually materialized. Right. But you're prepared (laughs) prepared for it. it. (laughs) But in the meantime, I was a basket case. Well, what I would do is because I would constantly be thinking about all these horrible things (laughs) that were probably never going to happen, but, (laughs) you know, I would replay these scenarios in my head over and over and just constantly thinking about, oh, well, this is, this is bad, you know, and I would think, oh, well, my, my, you know, my, my girlfriend didn't call me back and, you know, she's probably out (laughs) cheating on me right now, or maybe she's dead in a ditch somewhere and. 
oh my god and you know i would sit there and i would drive myself nuts over it and so a lot of times i would start drinking just as a way to to make my thoughts slow right. down exactly you know it exactly. was and it, you know it, it was never enough to just okay yeah i've got a nice cool buzz i'm good no right. no no i have to shut it off absolutely I know that, in fact, that was the hardest part. Uh, and I've said this many times when I first stopped drinking is because I still had ongoing problems in my life that were the result of my addiction. Okay. Mm -hmm. Legal problems, all kinds of pro money problems, you name it. And the only way I knew to shut off the worry and the fear and the dread was to drink. Right. And and that just becomes a horrible cycle because it creates more. It creates more <laughs> problems, and that goes back to the second truth: that you know the cause of addiction is repetitive craving. Repetitive craving, you know. And the the nice thing about when you do that second truth inventory is it helps you understand that there were causes of that craving, and once you can identify. What caused you to do that? You can correct the behavior that follows it. Right. Now, is this similar? Would you say that this is similar to like like the fourth and fifth step sort of? And then where you kind of identify um, personality traits or what they call character defects or whatever and then try to improve on those? Is it similar to that? I think it is, but it's kind of the, – the nice thing about it is it's, it's sort of broken down into smaller pieces. Okay. Um, I think – you know, when I when I first got started with AA, the the fourth step just terrified me. Right, right. You know, it was like I don't, you know, all these horrible things from my past that I've done, and I just, <laughs> right. I don't want to think about that. I just want to leave that in the past and move forward. Right. And while that's a nice thought, and you know, it it, it would be nice if we could just okay, well, that's in the past, and I don't have to deal with it right. anymore. The fact is that there's repercussions. Right. And the way that the way that this is broken down, it's not so much here, here, you know, just go back and dig up all this crap from your past and, you know, you're going to drive yourself crazy thinking about all of this. It's broken down into smaller pieces and there are specific questions that it asks that make it a whole lot easier than trying to think about it, you know, in this grand, oh, well, I have to go back and think of, Everything that I've done. Right. <laughs> you know, okay, well, I started drinking when I was 15 and I stopped when I was 35. So that's two decades right. worth of dirt that I've got to right. go digging through. Yeah. And with this, it's, it's much, it's, it's bite sized. Right. So because you've got specific questions, um, you know, okay, I'm, I'm looking at the book right here. One, one of the very simple, when did it become a problem? Yeah. You know, it's not, well, it's not asking you, well, what led up to this? Just right. when did it become a problem? Right. What's, what's the thing that you're most afraid of? How did your addiction affect that fear? Right. You know, it's, it's specific questions that make you really think about it rather than, you know, when the, the, the fourth step to me seems fairly abstract. Right. You know, and just uh, you know, a searching and fearless moral inventory. Right. It's well, kind of a free flowing, right. whatever well, well, pops into your head type. Of, you yeah. know, and it's like, okay, well, just <laughs> moral inventory. What does that right, mean? Right. You know, is it just the bad things? Do I include the good things? And right. You know, even even the sponsors that I've had were not real helpful. They were right. just, well, you're overthinking it. You just right. need to do right. it. Right. Well, that doesn't help. Yeah. 
What I liked about it when I was reading through the book, um, I like to think, I actually like thinking. I think thinking and understanding helps me in my recovery. And I think that, um, I think I've been doing that ever since I've been sober, really, Mm -hmm. trying to understand what was going on with me. Um, But my experience in AA, especially for some period of time, was that um, they were focusing so much on faith and belief that understanding was not something that was really valued. Whereas I, <laughs> whereas I think as people that are now approaching this from a secular perspective, I think that we like to understand. So like the way I, I see things now, I don't come to believe, but I come to understand. I think that's a good way to look at it. Um, I know for me, the, the faith and belief thing, really, that was a big turnoff for me, um, with AA. Um, it's a big turnoff for a lot of people. And I think until I found secular AA meetings, the longest I had managed to stay sober was four months. Right. Um, because too many times it got to a point where going to a meeting, it, it felt like I was going to be crucified. Right. Yeah. You know, if I if I was to openly state that I don't believe in God, then it would immediately turn from a recovery meeting to a come to Jesus meeting, right? Right. right which right. happened to me more than once. Right. Well, in our part of the country, and especially if you live in the outskirts of the city, right. <laughs> um, so when I found the secular AA meetings, it was, it was a breath of fresh air for me because yeah. it was like, Hey, these are, these are people who are like me, right? You know, they, they have a problem. They want to get better, but they don't want to get bashed over the head right. with the Bible. Right. Yeah. And that's why I think a lot, a lot more people that are in not, it's not, maybe not, not might not be for everybody, but I think what I like about refuge recovery is it gives you, um, questions to ask yourself. It gives you, um, you know, things to do to understand about your past, um, it helps you um, learn to meditate. All these things that are basically, you can find all that stuff in AA, but without the dogmatic approach to, um, you know, that you're good, you're bad, or, you know, you got to do this just right. Um, you know, w- one of the things that I like about it is that there is, throughout the whole program, it stresses to be kind, not just to other people, but also to, to yourself. A lot of times in AA... I found that, you know, I, I would, there were times when I would leave meetings feeling worse than when I went in. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes I would wonder, you know, well, is, is there something inherently wrong with me? Yeah. You know, I, I had, uh, I had the problem that, you know, I'm, I'm here to get better and all these people, you know, they're all talking about what God has done for them yeah. and that, oh, I just got to turn it over to God. Right. I said, well, that's great that that works for you, but what am I supposed to do? Right. I'm kind of left out in the cold here because I don't have that crutch. Right. And, you know, finding any kind of secular recovery meeting is, it can be difficult, especially, you know, depending on where you are. Right. Yeah. We're pretty lucky here that we actually ended up having a pretty decent community of, of, of people here that, that want to have a secular approach to their recovery. And and I and I do I do appreciate that I like it because you know we are I think we're actually more open minded I think that we're more willing to look into other other avenues you know uh, things like this you know um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, variety in our experiences though too there are some people who 
who might not like this. You know, they might think it's they might think it's too spiritual. They might think it's too um, you know religious in, in nature and that kind of thing. But well, and and the way that I look at it is the refuge recovery is based on Buddhist teachings, mm-hmm. but it's not based on buddhism as a religion right you know there's no talk of reincarnation there's no talk of karma um it's just basically i mean it all boils down to you know being being a nice person right Be, be good to yourself be good to other people right um i think probably the most i i hate i hate to even use the word religious but i think the closest to anything like that that it comes to is, and it's not even so much talking about karma. It's just that you know, if you're nice to other people, they're more likely to be nice to you. Right, right. You right. Know? And that's that's yeah. not really karma. That's no. just good manners. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So um, now, I, I, you you understand where I'm coming from? I, I come from this this. I came into AA when I was 25 years old, and I'm 55 now. Okay, mm-hmm. so this is all I freaking know. So anytime I I I, I read something, I think, oh, that sounds like step five, whatever. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> so anyway, so anyway, so I was looking at the third the third um, truth, mm-hmm. which is recovery is possible. You want to talk about that a little bit? That that one it pretty much speaks for itself. I mean, you know, you have to accept that recovery is possible right and i think that's something that a lot of people especially early on just don't see it as you know it's not even on the radar right you know especially you know when you're in the depth of your addiction and you're still actively using or you know whatever i think for a lot of people they just don't think that there's a way out Right. I think, well, this is this is me, and this is how it is, and this is how I am, and I, I'm just going to have to accept that. And when you accept that recovery is possible, and you you come to understand that, you know, it's it's <laughs> it's it's almost the spiritual awakening that yeah. they talk about, yeah, uh, in AA, yeah. Um, See, that's know, how I was kind of viewing it too. I, I was viewing it as that moment where you realize that. I need help and there is help. Right. That there is hope. And I mean I think that's I think it's necessary because if without that, why even bother? Well, and and that's that's pretty much where a lot of people, you know, when they get to that point, they they just have to realize that there there is an alternative to living my life this way. You know, right. I'm I'm miserable. I'm broke. Right. Um you know, I, I'm I'm causing the people around me to suffer, whether I realize it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I don't think I realized how much my drinking affected other people until after I got sober. Right. Um, there were people that were concerned about how much I drank. There were people that expressed that concern. And one of the things that I've always kind of said is, you know, if other people think you have a problem, then you might. Right. If you think you have a problem, then you do. Right. That's a good way of putting it. That's a good way of putting it. I used to always tell people, um, if you think you have a problem, then you probably have a problem. Right. And it, and you really do, because just, just that you're sitting around considering that you have a problem isn't is a problem in itself, right? You have to you have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I know people that will admit that they have a problem. They just don't really have any desire to stop. Right. Um, you know, and what can you do? Right. You know, there really isn't anything you can do. Right. Except, you know, just hope that someday they'll get it and, right. you know, 
be there when they're ready to reach out. Right. Now, I noticed on the third, on that one, there's not an inventory connected with that one, is there? Uh, no, it's just that, you know, you recovery is possible, and that's pretty much... Okay. So, like, when you guys, when you when you go through this, um, do you have, like, discussions about these fourth truths? How do you, how do people... How do you how do you learn to implement these in your life? Well, what what I do <clears throat> at our meetings is, you know, we do we do a meditation, um, and then there's there's a reading, um, which we could either say, okay, well, we're gonna just have a discussion about this this particular truth or okay. this this part of the eightfold path, or okay. You know, I'll find a passage in the book and say, hey, you know, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Okay. So in, in some ways, you know, I've, I've attended, you know, big book studies mm-hmm. where it's like, hey, we're going to we're going to read this little section right. and then we're going to talk about it. Right. Uh, it's it, it can be the same way. Yeah. Um, okay. Just a different way of looking at so it. So it kind of helps people learn and discuss and kind of, um, I guess, learn from others, I guess, too. Right. Yeah. It, it gives you a chance to. Um, share your experiences. Um, you, you find out that, you know, we're, we're not so different. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is a important part of our recovery. Then this other one, this is the one that I thought was like step three, the path to recovery is like when you, isn't that where you, okay, this is where you're, you're, you're looking at, at the eightfold path, right? Correct. And you're kind of making a commitment to it. Is that how you would refer you? Um, it's not even necessarily so much about making a commitment to it. It's just becoming engaged with it. Okay. Um, you know, understanding, you know, once, once you've accepted the four truths and you start working on the eightfold path, which like I said, it's, it's not so much, uh, a step-by-step thing as it is more just a holistic type of thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, these, these are the things that are going to help keep you clean and sober. These are the things that are going to help with your recovery. These are things that you should be mindful of, the things that you should work on practicing in everyday life. Okay. Okay. And that's when you get into this. Um, shall we go into the Eightfold Path a little bit and talk about some of these things? Sure. Okay. So when, um, the Eightfold Path, and it's kind of cool, they break everything down because you can you break you can break the eightfold path down like in three different chunks, right? Wisdom, ethics, and meditation. Um Did I kind of yeah. got that right? So like on wisdom, you've got wise understanding, reality, and wise intentions. Is that right? Well <clears throat> maybe I should let you tell me. <laughs> well, and I I think a lot of it uh, you know, you, the three pillars i guess that that come straight from the uh the teachings of of you know buddhist philosophy um the three things are awakening truth and community okay or buddha dharma and sangha okay um and with with each one of those you have to think of it as <clears throat> you know again you know they all kind of go together right. it's it's not so much that you know, well, I'm going to focus just on this or right. I'm going to focus just on that. You know, it's not like, you know, I remember, you know, a lot of times in AA, we say you need to work the steps, work right. the steps. Right. And, you know, it's, 
I always kind of viewed that almost like playing a game, you know, you're leveling up. Okay, well, I just did step one. Now I'm on to step <laughs> right, two and step right, three. Right. And I, oh, step four was hard, but now I'm on to step five. Right. And, yeah. Um, with, with this, it's more of, hey, these are, these are things to, to work on all together. Gotcha. It's not, oh, well, you know, I'm going to work on understanding now. Right. Once I feel like I've got that, then I'll work on gotcha. intention. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. That is kind of funny. Um, that, you know, in a way, I think that because they wrote the steps out numerically in order like that, mm-hmm. it was almost a mistake because that's not really how we experience it. There, we actually experience a lot of those things simultaneously. Right. And... You know, I kind of thought of it as, you know, if you think of it almost like a recipe, Mm -hmm. you know, does it really matter, you know, if you mix up the steps in a recipe a little bit, right? you know, depending on what it is, it might, Mm -hmm. but usually not, but right. You know, as long as you cover all your bases, you can usually turn out a good product. Right. Right. And I think that's where, like, I remember... Early on in my sobriety, uh, well, in one of my attempts at sobriety anyway, um, I had already kind of started working on making amends, and I had somebody tell me I was doing it wrong. Uh-huh. I said, whoa, 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 you're not there yet. <laughs> right. Well, what's wrong with... <laughs> right. You know, is, is there something inherently wrong about, you know, wanting to you know, right the wrongs? Right. And sometimes you almost have to because you're just... I mean, I, I was in, I was at that point there. I wasn't, I wasn't like on that linear progression at that place where someone checked off all the boxes and said, okay, you're ready for this. But I had to go, I had to, I had to be able to look people in the eye, right? you know, and that was what it was about for me. And there were people, um, that I was seeing on the street that I would want to walk the other way when they, when they came down the street and I had to go talk to those people, Yep, you know? And so it didn't matter to me of whether or not I was a f- someone, you know, I was on that step. And I think, so I think that, yeah, I mean, that's just, the, that, I mean, that's how the, my recovery has always been. It's, it's always been, um, gosh, it's, it's more like, as you described this in refuge recovery, it's, 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 it's experiencing things simultaneously, um, you know, um, different in different ways, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then, um, maybe my understanding has grown to over time. I'm sure that I must've started off, you know, listening to people and, and being a little bit more regimented, but as time went on, I, I could look back and realize that, Oh wow. You know, this is, this is what, this is how it really happened. Right. And how it really happened. is a lot different than, than the way it's laid out in the, uh, in the story, you know? You know, I, I remember it's like, okay, well, while you're working on step four, you're also kind of working on like eight and nine at the yeah. same time. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yes, I understand that, you know, they they all kind of build on each other. Right. But I think I I've I think a lot of people have this understanding that, you know, the steps are like I described. It's like a level leveling right. up in a video game. Right. And you know, I would hear people in meetings that would talk about, "Oh, well, I'm I'm working on step number X, Y, or Z." Right. And it's like, "Well, you know, with this, it's it's more well, these are all the things that we're working on all the time. All the time. And in doing so, it kind of helps you to understand more about your place in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, like for me, you know, this this 
being placed in the position I'm in was not really necessarily something that I actively tried to do. Right. Um, the, uh, the, the gentleman that started the Kansas city Sangha of refuge recovery, he, he was trying to get things off the ground and I had attended a few meetings and mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed it. Right. And then he dropped this bomb on us that he was moving okay, and needed someone to take over. Uh huh. And, and that was you. Well, it kind of, it just kind of <laughs> fell on me. I was yeah. really the only one that regularly attended the meetings. You know, right. we'd have other people that would show up here and there. Uh, we had a couple of guys that came from out of town that were here for work that had these two guys. It was kind of an interesting story. They'd never met each other before, hmm. but they worked for the same company. Interesting. And they got sent to Kansas City. Oh, really? One of them uh, was a gentleman, I believe he was from Florida, uh-huh. and he attended refuge recovery there. And the company had put him and this other guy in a hotel together. And the one guy, hey, what are you, what are you reading there? And he started telling him about it. And the guy says, you know, I think I might need something like that. Isn't that interesting? And they they attended the meeting and they were only here for a few weeks and they were they came to the meetings every week and... You so know, aside from me, I think they were probably the most regular attendees that we had at that point. You know what's interesting is when you're describing that, the one guy was re- was he reading the refuge recovery book? Yeah. So he he's like like an AA. We're not going to tell anybody what we're you know. Mm-hmm. So are you more open about it? Like if people if they go to refuge recovery, are would they just tell people at work, hey, that's what I'm doing? Are you more how how's that? Um, one of the things. Um, and, and I'm, I, I think I'm understanding what you're right, asking. Right, right. Um, sort of the anonymity thing in a way. Well, as far as the anonymity is concerned, usually, I mean, there's, there's still, you know, kind of like, you know, who, you know, who you see here right. and what you hear Honor here. someone's right to privacy. Right. right. You know, we, we do, we do mention, you know, the importance of anonymity and confidentiality. Right. Um, usually at the meetings, we just introduce ourselves by first name. Right. Um, it's not, you know, I, I'm an alcoholic. Right. I'm an addict. A label it's like, or anything. you know, we're okay. We're here because we have a problem. Right. Whether your addiction is drugs, alcohol, gambling, whatever it is, addiction is addiction. Right. And it doesn't matter what your addiction is. Gotcha. Um, and I've, you know, I've seen studies that show that, you know, during, um, uh, They've done PET scans on the brains of addicts right. where, you know, they show that the same parts light up, whether your addiction is right. you know, <clears throat> alcohol, That's cocaine, right. That's right. whatever. Once That's that right. stimulus is introduced, the same parts of the brain are lighting right. up. Yep. Yep. So w- one of the things that I like about refuge recovery is that it's open to addicts of all stripes. Sure. Doesn't sure. matter what your problem is. Sure. You have a problem. We want to help. That's right. You know, I'm going to be talking to a doctor this week for a podcast, Nicole Labor. Mm-hmm. And she she gave a talk and she says, there's no such thing as cocaine addiction. There's no such thing as heroin addiction. There's no such thing as alcohol addiction. There's just addiction. Mm-hmm. And I believe that. And she showed the same thing that you were talking about, those studies where they are looking at how um, parts of the brain are activated by, by addicts, you know, when they actually just even see the drug or whatever, right. you know, and it's all it's all the same. And so I believe that, too. And and, and she makes a point that um, just from like a, a public policy standpoint, it's almost um, we're almost doing a disservice when we focus on the drug 
and not the addiction. I agree with that. Because like, you know, we'll, we'll have like a, oh, we have a crack ac- epidemic. We have a heroin epidemic. We have an opioid crisis, right? Mm-hmm. Well, no, we don't. We have an addiction problem because all those, those substances, you could just interchange them, you know, for one for the other. Well, and that's, that's something that a lot of people have found um, just through, you know, the, the cause and effect of addiction. You know, there, there are people that, um, you know, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to stop drinking. So what do they do? Well, I'll start smoking pot. Right. That'll right, help. Right. And the thing that people find is that until they actually focus on understanding the nature of their addiction, whatever they're substituting, they abuse it the same way. Right. You know, I, I talked to a gentleman recently He said that when he quit drinking, he thought, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll smoke pot because that at was least my I'm first not, thought because uh, I'll smoke pot because at least I'm not drinking. Right. That was my first thought. And, and, I, and I was never a good pot smoker anyway. I, you know, <laughs> they'd be totally paranoid. But I thought I thought that might be a good option still. <laughs> you know, so he said, you know, he, he was saying that, oh, well, at least I'm not drinking. So if I'm just smoking pot, then that's fine because I'm not addicted to pot. Right. And the problem was, he said that shortly after he decided to substitute marijuana for alcohol, <laughs> he was getting high four or five times right, a day. You right, know, I'll wake up right. in the morning, I'm going to get get high and go about my day and oh, well, lunch break, I'll step out. And, you know, and it was it's it's all the same. It doesn't matter. It is. What's happening from a scientific standpoint, from my, from my understanding, I'm going to learn more about it, is that it's really a dopamine issue yes and so it doesn't really matter marijuana um, cocaine alcohol whatever you're still um, increasing your dopamine levels way above the threshold that that you're you're able to withstand Mm -hmm. and that's the whole problem and then once you once you start the addiction once your brain changes Mm -hmm. through addiction it doesn't matter what drug it is right so anyway but actually, you know, in AA, you can theoretically be sober and smoke pot. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least you're not drinking. <laughs> I'm not trying to bash AA, but that's kind of the truth anyway. We well, actually had a meeting the other day um, where a woman came in and she said that she had smoked pot. She went somewhere and she smoked pot or whatever. And she wanted to know if she was still sober, right? And we said, well, the only requirement for membership is to stop drinking. It's up for you. It's, it's for you to decide, you know. But, well, and I've, I've been to, you know, and, and some, some AA meetings that I've attended have been more lax than others about it, but I've yeah. been to some where as soon as somebody starts bringing up any kind of addiction issue, they other, yeah, they say, whoa, 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 this, this is Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> this yeah. isn't Addicts right, Anonymous, right. <laughs> which, you know, as, as we've already covered, that's it's all the same. Right, right, true. But true. you would get some people that, you know, would say, oh, well. Yeah, I used to drink a lot, but I also did heroin. So, okay, well, we're not going to talk about the heroin because right. we're alcoholics right. here. <laughs> you know, we, we just want to talk about drinking. Yeah. You know, if you want to talk about your heroin use, you have to go to an NA meeting <laughs> right, for that. Right. Well, with with refuge recovery, it's more inclusive to where, okay, it doesn't matter. Okay, you may have been an alcoholic and a heroin addict. Right. That's cool. <laughs> that you yeah. know, dual addictions are not uncommon. No, not at all, really. No, mostly most most of us probably are actually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, you were talking about where you're at right now with your. You, so, um, the person who started um, Refuge Recovery in Kansas City, he moved on, and so now you're 
um, kind of trying to get get things going. Yeah, it it, uh, it kind of fell in my lap, and it was it was more that I saw the value in the program, and even though I was just not really wanting to take on the responsibility of leading the the group in Kansas City, I didn't want to see it just right. go away. I'm glad you did. And so I told them that I would be willing to go ahead and take over at least for now and help try to grow the program and see if we could get something more substantial than just, you know, I mean, the, the handful of people that we've uh-huh. had, mm-hmm. I think so far the most we've had at one meeting is five people, mm-hmm. which, but you haven't been at it that long though, right? No, I think, uh, I think he really just got things started. It's been less than a year. Yeah. Uh, I think he really got things started back, uh, I want to say March or yeah. so. I mean, it's been just since yeah. the spring. It takes a while. Besides, Refuge Recovery doesn't have the the name recognition yet like AA True. does. You know, Yeah, so, and we don't have, uh, you know, like a regional central office or right. anything like that. Right. So that also kind of makes it a little bit more difficult to get the word out. Right. Um, we have been... You know, we have a, you know, a Facebook page that has, I think, around 100 followers mm-hmm. right now. Um, it's a good page, too. I like it. You know, we have, uh, you know, we, we do have our meeting listed on the main Refuge right. Recovery and website. Actually, that Refuge Recovery website is pretty cool, too. Yeah. They did a good job with it. There's there's a lot of good information out there. There's also a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of videos on YouTube hmm. uh, from Refuge Recovery uh, talking about uh, either either various people doing dharma talks mm-hmm. or there's there are several that it's a, it's basically just a video of a guided meditation cool there's also a refuge recovery podcast yeah. you can get on iTunes yep so there's there's a there's a good online presence um you know right now i think between the online and word of mouth is really the only way that we can spread the word about right. it uh, right there are a few uh Buddhist centers here in town and we've been reaching out to them, uh, as far as getting the word out. Um, I, I've talked to uh, a couple of people about possibly, um, if, if nothing else, getting some flyers out to some of the inpatient rehab facilities. Absolutely. Um, haven't, haven't quite gotten there yet, but you know, I've got stack of flyers. We put some out, um, Yep. There's I think that they would love to hear about it. People need options. Right. You know, that I, I'm I'm all pro choice. I think that the more options you have for people, the better. You know, what AA might be great for one guy, refuge recovery might be good for another guy, another one might want both. Right. Uh I and, think I, I fall into that that last category. Yeah. You know, I still attend AA meetings. Yeah. Uh I lead the refuge recovery meetings here. There's uh, no reason that we have to be in a camp. You, know, right. you, you can go to Smart. You can go to Refuge. You can go to AA, Smart, and Refuge Recovery. You can go do all three if you want to, and then go to therapy. And you know, I mean, you could do a number of different things. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? And you probably should if if that's what if that's what helps. You know. You know, I, I view it. You know, much like you know, I I think if you were to just take a look at all of the different options and learn what you can about each one, you can apply what works for you and disregard the rest. Yeah, absolutely. You know, for me, I think the the meditation really does help. Yeah. Um, the fact that we've got, you know, the meditation as well as recovery discussion. Right. All kind of rolled into one meeting. Right. Uh, I know that there are a lot of 
AA meditation meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Buddhist AA meetings. That's right. But like you said, I, I I like the fact that this presents another option. Yeah, yeah, and it is a secular option. You know, when I when I was reading when I was reading through the book, I was you know, and, and it might be just the way that my mind works because I always kind of interpret anything as from a psychological. Um, standpoint. So, like when I was going through all those questions and the different and the different inventories, like, wow, this is really, really good. Mm-hmm. This really forces a person to stop and think and look at their own behaviors and to understand and learn from them. You well, know, and and I think that self awareness is a big part of mindfulness. Mm-hmm. If you if you really take the time to reflect on you know the things that have caused that have fueled your addiction. It really helps you to to understand it, and it gives you more tools that'll help you avoiding falling back into those old destructive behaviors. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with that. So I think that you guys are off to a pretty good start. Um, so I know that you've been meeting outdoors for most of the time, right, mm-hmm. down by the river, but you might be having a place inside here pretty soon. Yeah, we've been... Uh, well, uh, we started our meetings. We were uh, we were at uh, at the Riverfront Park, mm-hmm. and here in the last few months, we've been meeting at uh, at Loose Park, which okay. is which is a really nice park. But it's also when the weather's really nice, it can be very busy. Oh yeah, um, it's nice that it's it's pretty centrally located. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's convenient for a lot of people, but you know, on a nice day, there's a lot of people out walking their dogs and there's, there's, you know, children playing on the playground and Mm -hmm. there's just a lot of potential distraction, which can make meditation difficult. Right. We do have, uh, we are currently in talks with, uh, with a place that is, it's looking very promising Mm -hmm. that we may have an indoor venue. That'll be uh, great. In the very near future. That'd be great. Um, don't want to say too much about right. it because we haven't really gotten anything official sorted sure. out. But your meetings are at on Thursday at seven. Right so, now, yes. Okay. Um, that's you know as far as with the new venue, we're not a hundred percent sure yet, but we're hoping to keep it around the same time. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna have to check out some of these meetings. Um, I'll just have to when I go. I'm just gonna be. I'm just gonna not talk about anything I know. <laughs> I just feel like I feel like I got too much AA inside of me, and I just feel like you know I could really. <laughs> well, just like anything else, you know, and there's there's a topic presented, and you just discuss right based on your own life experiences right. how how that relates to you. Okay, um, you know, so well, that's good. Y- you you may end up internally comparing a lot yes and that's okay yeah because again that's drawing from from your own life experience right right so that's you know not not good bad or indifferent it's just just that's right yeah Yeah. well i'm glad i'm so so glad i wonder when did do you know when this started a refuge recovery i don't okay um well we'll find out i know uh the guy that started it uh noah levine he uh He's written several books. Um, he wrote the Refuge Recovery. Uh, he's got two other books that I know of. There's one called Dharma Punks, and uh, one called Against the Stream. Okay. And originally, he started uh, in California, of course. Uh, it was uh, Against the Stream was essentially um, just a a Buddhist sangha. It wasn't necessarily recovery based. 
but it, it's, you know, it's evolved. And, uh, I know there's, there's a lot of stuff online you can find out about him. Yeah. Um, he's, his, his story is pretty interesting. Uh, he talks about how he was drinking and using drugs as a, as a young teenager and, um, how practicing Buddhism had helped him to come to terms with his addiction and helped lead him into recovery. Yeah. That's something else too, by the way, that people shouldn't, that book has personal stories too in the back, just like the, the big book. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah, it, it does. And, uh, and, and, you know, just like in the big book, you know, the stories, the personal stories, it's where you really kind of get a lot of the, it, it makes it a lot more relatable. Right, right. You know, just, just like when you're in a meeting and people sure. are sharing, it makes you understand that, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not as screwed up as I thought right, I was right. because here's a bunch of other people who've all dealt with the same things. Right. Okay, well, I think we covered some pretty good ground. I mean, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot here. Um, there's a lot to this um, that I, I find just fascinating. I mean, uh, going through the eightfold path. I mean, this is something I've never even heard of before until I ran across this book. Mm-hmm. So um, I love when I find when I learn something new like this. So this is going to give me something to um, you know delve into. Um, and usually when I when we post a podcast, we'll um, I'll write out um, something and, and that's always kind of a good practice for me too, because it really, it helps me learn a little bit more about whatever the subject is that we're covering. So um, this is really good information, Dave. This will, this is very helpful um, for, you know, for anybody who is just looking for some, some, some way um, to deal with their addiction um, that, that is comfortable for them. Well, and, one of the things that that I I really kind of want to stress is that although it is drawing from Buddhist teachings, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily trying to turn anybody into a Buddhist. No, no. Um, you know, I still consider myself very much an atheist. Right. Um, you know, I I think that there's a lot of value in a lot of Buddhist teachings. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's well, okay, look at, you know, Thomas Jefferson when he edited the Bible right. down to, I think it was like 80 something pages right. where it was the life and moral teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. Right. It's like, well, there's, there's still good information in there. Sure. There's good lessons to be learned. Sure. And whether you buy into the rest of the, the, the religious aspect of it or not, you know, there's, there's good teachings. Right. And right. I think that a lot of people, they see, oh, Buddhist immediately. They their mind goes to, oh, we were sitting in a temple yeah. and incense and. But if you read the book, I love the book because it's a process. Mm-hmm. I, I can see the process, and you know, like I say, you know, um, any for me, like anything that's spiritual or whatever, for me, that's just that's just how it's delivered, I guess, to me, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I I can see the practical aspect of it. Right. Um, and, and the meditation, I know for sure that meditation is helpful because I've, I've experienced the benefits of meditation myself. Meditation to me though, is like, um, it's a good habit. It's like exercising. And if I, if I, when I'm doing it, I appreciate it and I keep doing it and doing it, doing it. But if I stop doing it, it's hard for me to get back into the rhythm of doing it again. Sure. And that might be why it's kind of good to have a group to go to because it kind of forces you. I mean, you get the benefit of the community. Mm-hmm. You get the benefit of, you know, peers that support you in it. Mm-hmm. And then just the regular habit, the yeah. practice. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the the meditations, you know, there some are 
pretty involved. Some are pretty rudimentary. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's one that I thought was kind of interesting. I haven't done it yet, but it was, uh, an eating meditation that was just kind of, oh, really? yeah, it was causing you to, you're, you're basically, it's, it's, it's a mindfulness exercise, right. but it, you know, it starts with, you know, passing out a, a snack and, you know, well, okay, think about this and think about the, you know, the people that helped to you know whatever it is if it's you know it says uh like you know something small like raisins mm-hmm. you know you look at it and think about what you're about to eat you touch it smell it think about what it's made of where it came from uh you know the people that were involved in the growth the transportation the preparation of the food and you know something as simple as eating can be uh, a great mindfulness exercise yeah and it really does kind of help you know with with things like that you know it it helps you to kind of be present right and i think for a lot of us myself included you know we get so worried about everything else going on in the world around us that we don't really think about what's going on in the here and now right it's like i'm i'm right here you know this is what's happening immediately around me yeah the rest of the world is all way out there and this is where i am this is I'm I'm here. This is what's going on. And I think that focusing on that can be very helpful uh, in recovery because once you can kind of bring your thoughts into what's going on around you and what's going on right now, um, you, you realize that a lot of the things that that are weighing on your mind just don't really matter right, that don't much. Don't really matter. Yeah. It's like, you know, is, is it, you know, if you're worried about, okay, trying not to get too political here but right. you know if you're worried about okay the, We're the current, bomb north korea or something current, right you know <laughs> if i'm i'm worried about that well what can i do about it right there's nothing i can do about it right. whatever's going to happen is going to happen and you know worrying about what's going on in the middle east right now doesn't do me any good right so while it may be a concern and it is concerning mm-hmm. you have to realize that you know what is it that you can do about it? Yeah. And if the answer is nothing, probably shouldn't worry about right. it. Right. Yep. That's what that is. A, that is that's a good lesson. That's actually uh, that's what I try to do too. Actually, today. Okay. Well, I think that I think that we've covered pretty good ground here. Um, I I will definitely try to attend some of those meetings. Um, we'll get this uh, podcast. Um, what I do with these, we um, of course we'll put them on our site. But then we also put them on YouTube and um, SoundCloud, and you can have the MP3 file. You can do whatever you want to with it. Okay. And um, so, yeah, cool. Good way to get the word out. Thanks a lot for coming over, Dave. It's been fun talking to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, All of us here at AA Beyond Belief are very grateful for your support. If you like the podcast, please take a little time and visit iTunes to give us a review. If you don't like the podcast, let us know what you don't like. With that being said, y'all take care. We'll be back again next week.